If you turn with me in your Bibles today, we're going to start in Psalm 23. We're going to look at the 23rd Psalm today. But today I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about the table. We're going to talk about the table. So start thinking about a table. Maybe you've got a table at home in your kitchen or in your dining room or maybe you don't have a table and you just sit in the floor right now or on futons or so then for you, you think about how nice it would be if you did have a table to go and sit at. Start, just start thinking about a table. Table talks. But I want you to know as we start out this talk that there is a table. But you might not be sitting at it. Right? There is a table that God has set for you. For your life. But that doesn't automatically mean that you're sitting at it or that you're eating at the table and if you're not sitting at it then you probably aren't bringing others to the table right for the most part you're not going you're not bringing people to a table that you're not sitting at yourself so that's kind of what I want to talk about today is are you seated at the table what is the table what's the purpose of the table should we bring others to the table is the table just for us what so, the table. When Pearl Harbor was attacked on December 7th, 1941, Desmond Thomas Doss, a scrawny shipyard worker, was disturbed and upset like a lot of other Americans were. He wanted to do something. He wanted to, to help his country, to right this great wrong. He, he was upset. He wanted to do something about it, but as a Seventh-day Adventist, he had made a vow to never take another human's life. So he wanted to do something like join the army, but he knew he can't kill anybody. He, had, he, he, he was very religious, and he loved God, and he didn't want to even hurt anybody. But he enlisted in the U.S. Army as a medic. Went through basic training, and and was getting ready to be shipped out and he refused to take a weapon they even asked him here at least take a knife and he said no nah, I won't even take a knife he wouldn't take any type of weapon because he thought you know if I get out there in battle in the heat of the moment and you know my emotions get going and then I might use that weapon and go against what I've already vowed to never do is hurt another human so he wouldn't even take a weapon his battalion was placed on the island of Okinawa with the almost impossible task of scaling a 400-foot cliff and taking it from the Japanese army. So they have to go up to this 400-foot cliff, scale the cliff. When they get to the top, hopefully have the element of surprise and take it from the Japanese army. Well, that didn't work out so good. Once they got up there, they started fighting, and they fought all day long. And when it was almost dark outside, they, the U.S. forces got pushed all the way back. Um, sorry, the light show is kind of distracting. Uh, they got pushed all the way back to the cliff until finally they were told to retreat. Get out of there. There's too many people wounded. Too many people are going down. We, we can't take this cliff. Get out of there. So they just start repelling back down the cliff, leaving. So left on top of that cliff was the victorious Japanese soldiers. All of the wounded Americans that were laying there dying and bleeding out. And little scrawny Desmond Doss. He didn't retreat. He hid. And as soon as the sun started going down, he ran to one of the wounded U.S. soldiers and he stopped the bleeding. And he carried him to the edge of the cliff and he tied him to a rope and he starts lowering him down. Well, now all of the U.S. Army is down at the bottom and they're regrouping and coming up with a new plan and all of a sudden they see a rope come down and here comes a body. And they're like, what in the world? They get the body and they look at the guy and say, hey, we can save this guy. He's okay. A few minutes later, here comes another body. 
Before long, they realized what was going on. Desmond was still on top of the hill. And he was going into the enemy camp, being shot at, sneaking around and saving people. This went on for hours and hours by himself. That night, Desmond Doss, without a weapon, saved 75 men, saved their lives from certain death. Desmond Doss was awarded the Medal of Honor. And when they asked him, what was running through your mind? He said, just one thing, all night long, I just kept praying, God, please let me save one more. God, please let me save one more. Maybe I can't save them all, but I saved that one. Let me save one more. It was a selfless act where he went into the enemy camp and he saved someone that couldn't save themselves. He helped someone that couldn't help themselves. That's the kingdom. That's what we're supposed to look like. Desmond, you don't even have a weapon. Right, Patrick, you don't even have a weapon. Dusty, you don't even have a weapon. Rachel, you don't even have a weapon. It's okay because our weapons are not carnal. And we say, God, let me save one more. Please, God, let me save one more addict so that they can find freedom. And let me save one more precious daughter from being trafficked. God, please let me just save one more. Let me save one more marriage. By the words I say, God, let me save one more child. God, let me save one more of my brothers. Or we can make excuses. Well, I don't, I'm not a preacher. I don't have a big church. I, I can't make a big difference. I, I don't have a platform. I don't have the kind of influence to change the world. Or, you know what? I don't have the kind of money to, to make a big difference. I, excuses will keep us from purpose. Excuses will keep us from saving one more. See, I don't have what it takes to make a difference. I, I can't make a big impact. I'm not educated. I, don't, I can't change the world. I don't have what it takes to feed people what they so desperately need. And I would say to you today, yes, you do. One at a time. We don't give up. So you need to know there's a table prepared for you. That's where it starts. That you were rescued and you were saved and that there is a table that has been prepared for you. So now I'm going to read you arguably the most famous passage of Scripture there is. You could put up a good argument for John 3.16, but I think this one may have even passed that. It's read at all funerals. Even funerals and movies, they read this thing. It's a pretty famous passage of Scripture. It's a song that David wrote. But don't just think, I already know this, and let it blaze, go right over your head. I want you to listen to it. Pay attention because God's speaking through it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. What does that mean? He gives me peace. God is my shepherd. So right there we can stop and say, if God is your shepherd, he gives you peace. That's the promise. He's your shepherd. Not he fixes all your circumstances. Not he takes away all your problems. But if you are being led by the good shepherd, he gives you peace. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. Sometimes he restores the body. But he always restores the soul. And the soul is much more important than the body. 
Uh, your soul, it matters a lot more. David said, the good shepherd, he gives me peace and he restores my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for my namesake. It doesn't say that. It says for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I walk through the valley, not to the valley. The valley is not your final destination. We keep walking through, not to. David said, I walk through the valley. If I keep on stepping, keep on walking, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. 1 Timothy 1.10 says that Jesus destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light. David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Would you rather get hit by a car or the shadow of a car? I'm going to go with the shadow of the car. It doesn't even hurt. The worst it can do is scare you. Right? A shadow is not going to hurt you. It can be kind of spooky or creepy. It might scare you, especially if, if you weren't ready for it. And then, whoom, there's a shadow or you think it's going to hit you, but it doesn't. But really, a shadow can't hurt you. you know, after Jesus went to the cross and took the keys of death, hell, and the grave, it's just a shadow. Death lost his sting. And you know there can't be a shadow without light. Sometimes when we're in our valley, we think it's all darkness and there's all dark, all around, all bad, nothing good, everything's against. But David said, even in the valley of the shadow of death, for there to be a shadow, there has to be light. Because Jesus is the light. And if the good shepherd is leading you, that means he's in the valley with you. So that means there is light. So even the fact that you're seeing a shadow should bring you comfort because that tells you shepherd's still here. There's still light. Verse 5, thou preparest. Here's what we were trying to get to. Thou preparest a table before me now I think that should say in your presence thou preparest a table before me in your presence God oh good shepherd but it doesn't David wrote thou preparest a table before me so like I can sit down and eat and be filled up where in the presence of mine enemies Well, you didn't pick a very good atmosphere for this meal there, God. We're in the presence of all my enemies. They're surrounding us. Thou anointest my head with oil. And that was to keep the bugs away and the ear mites out of their ears. And my cup runneth over. And what David's saying by that is, I'm welcome to stay. Back in ancient times, in the Bible days, if I was a guest or a visitor at your house, as long as your servant kept my cup full, that was a sign that I was welcome to stay. Like you were enjoying my company and my presence. But the minute my cup ran dry, that was my signal. You're welcome. You wore out your welcome. Time to go. Get out of here. Hey, that's kind of cool. They had a way. I mean, you didn't have to sneak down there and flip a breaker or make up a story about something you had to do. Like, you just told servant, hey, stop pouring that joker wine. It's time for him to go home. If your cup ran dry, you got up and left. So David saying, my cup runneth over. Like, it's so full. Every time I take a sip, it gets filled back up. It means I'm welcome to stay. It means you like having me here. I'm welcome to stay and live and dwell in your presence. Welcome to stay. One more verse. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever in the house or at home. I'll live like I'm at home, comfortable. I'll find my place and I will dwell. I'll live and I'll stay there. And goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. How do you follow something or someone that's not moving? You don't. You can't follow, like, I can't follow Chuck right now. He's not moving. Where am I going to follow him to? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me as long as I am being led by the shepherd. See, he started it out. He leads me. The shepherd leads me. And then goodness and mercy follow. But if I'm not being led by the shepherd, then goodness and mercy aren't following I don't know about y'all, but I make some messes. I need goodness and mercy following behind me. Help clean up. I need goodness and mercy in my life. I think we all do. And if we are being led by the shepherd, then they will follow. So he's leading and goodness and mercy are following. And he's setting a table in the presence of our enemies. I noticed that all throughout this whole Psalm, that was it. That was, that's the whole psalm. It's only six verses. Um, that all throughout there, it says like, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. For thou art with me. Thy rod and staff comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me. Thou anointest my head with oil. It's all he, he, thou, thou. It's all that stuff that God does. Only four things in the whole entire psalm, David said, I do. Only four things. David's responsibility. God, the good shepherd, he took care of all the rest. Here's what David said, the four eyes. First one, he said, I shall not want. You know what that means? I'm content. I trust God enough that I'm content in this season. Even if I'm walking through a valley, I'm content. The second one, I walk through the valley. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley, I keep walking. I won't stop. I won't get stuck here. I won't stay in the valley. I'm going to keep moving. So I'm content and I keep walking. The third one, he said, I will fear no evil. I won't let fear take over. We're all going to be afraid. You're going to have fear. If you didn't have fear, then you wouldn't need courage. If you weren't afraid of anything or you didn't have any fears or concerns, then how would faith work out? So we're going to have fear. We're going to be afraid. But we can't be motivated or led by our fear. So I don't let fear take over. Fourth one is where he said, I will dwell or live. I will be planted in the house of the Lord forever. So I'm planted. I choose to live in the house. I choose to find my place and connect and, and to live in the house of God. So this table... Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This, I want you to know that this table is a miracle. Right? God, God set a table in the middle of whatever is surrounding you. He prepares a table. And He invites you to sit and eat. In the tabernacle there was a table see it in Exodus 25 um, they put the bread of the presence on the table that it will be always before me that was God's instruction it was an offering so there was a table there in the tabernacle and in their culture it would mean peace between the neighbor 
or a friend, if I invite you in to sit at my table, it means there's peace between us. So it symbolizes presence and peace. Relationship and peace. If I invited you to sit at my table. So in the middle of our enemies, he's telling us we have presence and we have peace. In the middle of our enemies. Like we can have relationship and presence with a God and we can look our God. We can sit down in the middle of whatever's going on around us in the world. He prepares a table and he says, sit with me. Look into my eyes. I want to give you peace. Not because everything out here is okay. But because of this. This one-on-one relationship. And so you know that I'm the good shepherd and I got you. And even if you're in a valley, you can have peace. You got me sitting here with you. Remember in 2 Kings 6, um, Elisha's servant was panicked and freaking out because they were surrounded by an army. There was no way they were going to get away. They were about to get killed and he's freaking out panicking and Elisha, the prophet of God, was just calm as could be and he's like, do something. Aren't you going to pray? And so Elisha said, fine, I'll go ahead and I'll pray. Take it easy. He's like, all right, thank God he's going to pray. And Elisha prayed and he said, God, would you please open his eyes? Thank you for that servant. Like, bro, that's not the prayer I was thinking. Why don't you pray that all these enemies would leave? Why don't you pray that we would win or that we had an army bigger than their army? He, he just prayed, God, open his eyes. And God opened the servant's eyes and the servant now could see past the army that was surrounding them and saw that God had a bigger army. In other words, God was bigger than the enemies that had them surrounded. So it brought peace to his situation in the moment because he could see the bigger picture he could see how big God was and he stopped freaking out First Samuel 9 I was going to read you this whole story but in the interest of time let's not read the whole thing you can go read it for your homework Second Samuel chapter 9 you can read that whole chapter but this is after David became king. Right? Remember Saul and Jonathan died and David became king. And David had his best friend Jonathan was supposed to be king, Saul's son, and he died. But David and Jonathan had a covenant. So after David becomes king and he takes over the kingdom and he's ruling and he's reigning, he remembers the covenant and he said, Hey, was there anybody left in Jonathan's family that I could show kindness to, that I could show mercy to? And so he starts digging and searching and trying to find out, was there anybody left? And it turns out there was this, this boy named Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son. And in the battle and in fear, his maid picked him up, took off running, and she tripped and fell, and he was crippled. His legs didn't work, and they ran and hid because in that day, the new king would kill anybody else out of the old king's bloodline. Anybody that was left, he would kill them out of fear that they would come back and try to take the throne. So they ran and hid. Mephibosheth grew up a little crippled boy in hiding, scared of the king, scared of the new regime. Verse 3 says, Then, then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Micar, the son of Emil, from Lodabar that's where he was he was in a place called Lodabar the literal meaning of Lodabar is no pasture or mud pit it's like my pig pen there's no pasture it's just dirt or mud or the other meaning of Lodabar is no bread the place of no bread and no pasture there's a city in Manasseh. Sounds like a great place for a witness protection program. It was a rough city, a lot of criminals, good place to hide. And he's been hiding there for years. 
Why? Because he had the wrong idea about the king and about the king's thoughts towards him. You know, he didn't have to live there for all those years in his brokenness, begging for a meal tomorrow. David, because of the covenant that was made, would have accepted him into the house. Not because of who he was, not because of anything he had done, but because of the covenant that was made with his father. But he didn't know. He had the wrong idea about the king and the king's heart towards him. Some of y'all have been hiding. You come to church, but you don't really get involved. You just you run back out. You don't open up. You kind of closed off. You, you don't want to get too close. You don't want to open up. Why? Usually because there's some brokenness. Maybe there's an area of, that's lame or an area that you want to keep covered. I can't let them see the real me. I'm not worthy. I can't let the king know who I am. I can't, I can't let them see that there's, that there's brokenness. David said, bring them to my house. And David brought him to the house and he, he fell down and worshiped David. And he thought, he, he thought that David meant him some harm. And, and David said, thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. David even says, in verse 11, David said, He shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons, not even a servant. David said, He'll be treated just like one of my sons. And all the land that was taken from his grandpa and his father will be given back to him. And he even gave him servants to work the land. At the end of chapter 9, verse 13 says, So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table. He had a place at the king's table, continually. And he was lame on both his feet. That's how it ends it. Just in case you were wondering, he didn't get healed. He was still lame. He still had brokenness. There was no supernatural healing, but he found his place at the table, at the king's table. He did continually eat bread at the king's table as a son. His condition did not change, but his position did. Can I tell you that it's more about position than condition? We like to focus on our condition. We, we focus on our brokenness, on our hurt, on our pain, on our, our areas of shame. The thing that we feel like should disqualify us from being one of the king's sons. The thing that we feel like should disqualify us from being in ministry or from volunteering or from helping. To, oh, I can't do that. I, you know, I've, I've messed up or I've got this area that... I can't even walk. I should be able to walk. I can't even walk. I've got this area of brokenness that, that we feel like disqualifies us. And it is true. The Bible tells us some have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It says all have sinned. Not some. Right? Everybody's got some area where they've messed up or there's some area of brokenness. Nobody's good enough. Nobody's perfect to be called one of the king's sons or to have a seat at the table. We're all saved by grace because of what was done at the cross. But yet we disqualify ourselves because of some sin or because of some brokenness or because of someone in our family sin. Mephibosheth didn't even drop himself. Somebody else dropped him. Because of one man, Adam, sin entered the world. And because of our King Jesus, we have a seat at the table. You have a seat at the table. 
and I have a seat at the table. So who else is sitting at your table? I want you to think about that for a minute. Who is it? Like, who have you given a seat? Because you choose who gets to sit at your table. The table of your life. You know, when, when the good shepherd sets a table for you in the presence of your enemies, did you know you can, you can allow your enemies to take a seat at the table? We all do it. Well, that sounds pretty dumb because that whole thing about how he'll give me peace when I'm sitting at the table with the presence and the peace, um, that probably goes out the window if I keep giving up these seats at my table. If I take Jesse out on a date, right, and, and we're supposed to be spending time with each other, enjoying each other's presence, and I keep allowing other people to come up and sit down at the table... I'm going to lose something. I'm going to lose that connection. I will not give a giant. And we talked about giants two weeks ago. I will not give a giant or an enemy a seat at my table. Now, don't get it wrong. The table is for people. But it is not for fear. I can't allow anxiety to take a seat at my table. I can't allow depression or perversion or addiction or gossip to have a seat at my table because it's messing up what the shepherd's trying to do. It's taking away that peace. The, the seat, the chairs at the table, they're meant for people, but they're not meant for my enemies. They're not meant for giants to sit down with because what's being done at the table is you're eating, you're growing, you're getting stronger. It's, it's where your nourishment comes from. It's where you get hydrated and refreshed for the journey. So I don't want to be feeding my enemies and growing them and nurturing them and making them stronger for the journey to make sure they last. Oh, I'd hate for fear to get hungry and die off. Here, have a seat, old buddy fear. Let me feed you. And we allow enemies to have a seat at our table. And then we wonder why I can't beat this thing. It's because you keep feeding it all the time. Everybody you're around, you keep feeding that enemy. You say, hey, hey, gossip, have a seat at my table. I'm going to feed you again. Here comes somebody. We can, we can talk and gossip and feed you at my table so that you can say good and strong to kick my butt it seems ridiculous but we do it when we allow enemies to take a seat at the table that he has prepared for us so I will not welcome those things I will not feed serve and take care of those things but I will feed people I will serve people. And I'm going to keep building a bigger table. Even in the presence of my enemies. But I can't let the enemies sit down. Why? Because after you let them sit at your table for a while, you get comfortable with them. You know, your enemies will start to become your new normal. You just start to get comfortable with it and it's just easy and it flows your new pattern. It's your new buddy. How do you know if there's an enemy sitting at your table? Number one, you think things like, I wonder if there's something better at another table. You know, the grass is always greener on the other side. Well, their marriage is better than mine. Oh, his job is better than mine. That church is better than this one. I'm going to go try that. Remember the first I that we talked about that in Psalm 23? First I that David said, I am content 
this is the opposite of being content. It's I wonder what's better over there. I wonder what's better over there rather than being content with where God has me and making the place where I'm in better. I'm just worried about why somebody else got something better than me. Number two of how I know I've allowed enemies to sit at my table is I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I can make it through this. I don't know if things are going to get better. The best is in the past. That's not coming from a God that walks through the valley of the shadow of death with you. Remember, not to the valley. Through the valley. That's not coming from God. That's the second one that we saw, the second I. We keep on walking. We don't get stuck. We don't stay there. He prepares a table for you. The good shepherd, the one that laid down his life for the sheep. Can I just remind you that this was a very expensive reservation? He paid a lot to prepare a table for you. He sent Jesus, but he won't make you sit. He's not going to make you slow down and sit with him. He longs for you to sit with him. He sacrificed his son to make a way to be in relationship with you. He prepares a table even in the middle of your greatest enemies. And he says, hey, you got time to sit? Hey, you got time for me today? I'm pretty busy today. You know, I got a meeting going on and I got to hurry up. And, you know, I, I slept in a little bit late and I'm going to have to get my coffee. And I, I don't really have time to sit. I'm saved and I love you, Jesus. Love you, God. But I don't really have time for you today. I don't have time for all that peace. I'm busy, busy, busy. I got to go. And that's how a lot of us treat God like... Like the highest price was paid to make these reservations for a personal table with Him and we don't even have the time to sit with Him. Like we can't set our clock 20 minutes early to sit at that table to experience the presence and peace with the Creator. Third one, third way we know if there's an enemy at the table. There's fear. There's all different kinds of fear, but what about this one? If I give away all the food off of my table, or if I invite too many people to come in and sit, or you know, if I, I try to start giving away or being generous or live with an open hand, then there may not be enough food left for me. If you've got that attitude then you need to realize that the blessing is not what's on the table. The blessing is found in who is at the table. Blessing's not about the grapes and the steak laying on the table. I don't know why I said grapes and steak. That's kind of weird together, but I guess that's what sounds good right now. <laughs> grapes and steak. Like, that's not the blessing. We're supposed to live open-handed and help the people around us and give it to others. Like, so, but if we get confused and start thinking the blessing is the food that's on this table, right? The blessing is the drinks that are on this table. That's not the blessing. The blessing is the one that set the table and that is willing to sit at the table with us. To look into our eyes and to pour into us to give us what we so desperately need and to see us grow. Number four, last one, you start feeling like everything and everybody's against me. I don't belong. I don't have a place. I don't have the right last name. I, I can't do that. I don't have a place in the church. I don't have a place in ministry. I can't help anybody. I can't save one more. I, I'm little Desmond Doss, a little wimpy dude with no weapon. How could I save anybody? And that's what will disqualify you. You have a place. Remember the fourth I that David said in Psalm 23 was, I'm planted, I live, I'll dwell in the house forever. 
I have a place. I'm a son of the king. I have a place at the table. I have a place in the kingdom. I have a place in his house. I have a place in the church. And if you don't feel like you do, then there might be an enemy sitting at your table. We make it really clear that enemies aren't people. You get that, right? I don't want to be confusing. The enemy's not people. So who's sitting at your table? Because that's what really matters. 20 years ago, I flew to Fort Lauderdale. And I asked a teenage girl to go to dinner with me. And at that dinner, I told her that I liked her as more than a friend. Then at that same dinner, I told her that I loved her. And then at that same dinner, I pulled out a ring and asked her to marry me. Luckily, she said, yeah, it was Jesse, if y'all don't know. Right? And so 20 years later, we're still married with three kids, and it worked out pretty good. I'm happy. But I don't remember the name of the restaurant. I don't even remember how I got there. I do not remember the prices on the menu or how I paid for dinner that night. I don't remember most of the challenges of that night. I don't remember if the food was good because I didn't hardly even eat it. I was so nervous. You know what I do remember? I remember who was at the table with me. I remember looking into those eyes and connecting and the fruit that has been produced over the years. I remember the presence of the person across the table from me. All that other stuff, I mean, I could have handed that steak off my plate to a homeless man outside and it wouldn't matter. That wasn't the point. Don't miss the point. God set a table for you. Why? Because he wants you. He wants relationship with you. I'm going to wrap it up. Luke 14. Luke 14. Jesus, there were so many examples of tables that I could have gone to in Scripture. I just picked a few. But Jesus, like his whole ministry, it seems like half his ministry was around tables. Right? He was eating and went over to Zacchaeus, the tax collector's house, and they ate around a table and we see Jesus at the table with, with Lazarus and Martha and Mary. And we see Jesus around the table with the disciples. And we can go all the way to the Last Supper. Like one of the last things Jesus did before the cross was he sat around a table and gave communion to the disciples. All right, so Jesus, there's plenty of examples about tables. Jesus gives at least two that I know of parables about tables. We're going to look at one of the stories that Jesus told about a table, and then we'll be done. It's in Luke 14, verse 1. One time when Jesus went for a Sabbath meal with one of the top leaders of the Pharisees, all the guests had their eyes on him watching his every move. Right before him there was a man hugely swollen in his joints, So Jesus asked the religion scholars and Pharisees present, Is it permitted to heal on the Sabbath? Yes or no? They were silent. So he took the man and healed him. And he sent him on his way. And then he said, Is there anyone here who, if a child or an animal fell down a well, wouldn't rush to pull him out immediately? Not asking whether or not it was the Sabbath. They were stumped. There was nothing they could say to that. They didn't even know what to say to him. He went on to tell a story. I like how Jesus just told stories. He wanted to get his point across. So Jesus went on to tell a story to the guests around the table. Well, I'm not hearing Jesus. How come I don't hear Jesus speaking to me? Maybe you're not at the table. It says he went on to tell a story to explain what he meant to the ones that were around the table, ones that were at the table. Noticing how each had tried to elbow into the place of honor 
He said, when someone invites you to have to dinner, don't take the place of honor. Somebody more important than you might have been invited by the host. Then he will come and call out in front of everybody, you're in the wrong place. The place of honor belongs to this man. Red-faced, you will have to make your way to the very last table, the only place left. He said, you go sit in the place of honor, and when somebody else that's honored more than you comes, you're going to have to go sit at the kid table and eat hot dogs, dude. There's not even going to be any more seats left at the table. All the steaks are going to be put out on everybody's plates, and you're going to go have to sit at the kid table with your knees up here by your ears. They all got the little short chairs over there. Why? Because you tried to make yourself a place rather than sitting in the place that was yours. Be you. Remember two weeks ago when we talked about the giant slayer David? He couldn't wear Saul's armor. He had to be him. He had to do what God created him to do. Use the giftings that God gave him. Sit in the seat that God had for him. Right, right now, my seat is to stand up here and serve you some spiritual food and to preach. But all of our seat is not to sit up here. All y'all can't be sitting on my seat right now and all of us preaching at the same time. It wouldn't work. None of us would get anything. All right, so we have to be comfortable with sitting in the seat that we're in. Let me finish reading this. When you're invited to dinner, go and sit at the last place. You're saying, be humble. Then when the host comes, he may very well say, Friend, come up to the front. That will give the dinner guests something to talk about. What I'm saying is, if you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. If you're content to simply be yourself, then you will become more than yourself. Jesus is getting on to him because I like I like how Luke recorded that there. Like, since Jesus saw him elbowing and fighting to try to get the best place at the table, Jesus is like, there once was a man. And Jesus tells them this little story because they were elbowing and fighting for a place a certain seat at the table that they thought was better, had more honor. It's like musical chairs. Remember that fun game, musical chairs, where there's not enough chairs for everybody and it's stressful. And and the point of it is that I hope I get a seat, I hope I get a chair, but I know somebody's not gonna get a chair and what if it's not me and you're going around and if you got any kind of strategy, you're, you're going like real slow when you're by the chair and then when you're away from the chair, you're trying to hurry up to get over there because y'all don't want somebody to get my seat. I'm gonna elbow and knock people out of the way and do whatever I have to do to get my place at the table, my seat, my place of honor. That's what Jesus is addressing here. And he's like, in the kingdom, it's not like that. You're always fighting and we're down to one chair and there's only two of us left and I already know it's the one that weighs the most is going to get the chair because the other one's just going to get knocked off in the floor. and That's not how the kingdom of God works. And as long as we feel like that is how the kingdom of God works, then we're never going to really experience the kingdom of God because we're going to be stressed out and nervous and fighting and or we're going to be wondering if we have a spot or a place or if God can really use us or we're going to be having fear or and it's going to leave a crack in the door for all of our enemies to sit down and eat with us and we can say bye bye peace we'll fly right out the window as we play musical chairs in the kingdom. I want you to know today as we wrap this message up that everybody has a seat at his table. And there is so much more at the table. See, the goal of the culture is to be the last man standing. But the kingdom, God's table is different. It's not like that. The last two verses of the story that the, the last two verses, verse 12, 
um, three verses, 12 through 14. Then he turned to the host. Look what he said. The next time you put on a dinner, don't just invite your friends and family and rich neighbors, the kind of people who will return the favor. Invite some people who never get invited out. The misfits from the wrong side of the tracks. And you will be and experience a blessing. They won't be able to return the favor. But the favor will be returned. Oh, how it will be returned. At the resurrection of God's people. See, the goal of the culture is to be the last man standing. But the goal of the kingdom is to build a bigger table. Bring more people to the table. Man, I got freedom. I'm going to bring somebody else to find their freedom. Hey, hey, I, I found out how much God blesses me for giving. I'm going to teach somebody else how to give. I, hey, I need to figure out how to make this table bigger. We can't accommodate enough people, so I'm going to make the table bigger. In fact, how about I kick some of my enemies out of these seats so that they can be filled with people? Man, why don't I just kick fear in the butt and open up that seat for a person, a relationship that God intended to be in my life to help me advance the kingdom, to sit around this table and experience peace together. But I can't even invite somebody to sit at the table if my seats are full. There's a place at the table for everybody. I have a table um, my favorite table is in my kitchen. My, my spiritual kitchen, the office where I prepare these meals that I give y'all on Sundays. I sit in there and cook up a lot of meals. And any of y'all that have seen in my office, you've seen that awesome, the awesome table I have in there. And it's made out of an extremely rare tree that they don't even grow big anymore. They stay really small. So it's super rare that I have that big of a table made out of it. It's called an Ozark chinkapin. I don't even know if I said that right. Levi made it. And it's extremely rare. It's worth probably over $20,000 just because how rare it is and how big of a table it is. But I haven't even like had that table not even close to a year yet. It's only been a few months. And as I sat there thinking about tables and, and reading this and studying about that, and I started thinking about the things that have happened around that table already and how special that table is to me and the tears that have hit that table as I've sat in my seat at that table. And I've sat there with our leadership from the church and we've discussed the, the future and and how to make the NHWC table bigger, right? And how to, how to do things. And, and I've sat there multiple times with groups of guys drinking cups of coffee and eating a good breakfast, getting ready to go to Blake House and minister to men that are fighting for freedom from addiction. I've sat at that table for multiple men's Bible studies and, and strengthened relationships and talked to men back and forth across the table and... I've eaten some wonderful meals that have been prepared for me off of that table. I, I got to sit there a few weeks ago and explain salvation to somebody and then have them repeat after me and accept Jesus into their heart and ask me if we could go to the lake and baptize them. Sitting at that table. I've sat there and made strategic plans for how to advance the kingdom in West Georgia. I've sat at that table and talked to some of you with marriage problems. I've sat there and seen God's comfort come to some of you that have experienced great loss. I sit there every single Sunday morning around that table with the worship team we do a devotional and we talk and 
I'm surrounded by the warriors that are about to bring the meal to this spiritual table to all who will come eat. To me, that oak chinkapin is the second coolest tree to ever live. It's only second place to whichever one they made the cross out of because it's got God's blood on it. But mine's the second coolest one. And my goal is that before I walk out of this flesh body that there will be so much transformation that comes from people being seated at that table that it'll be unreal it's a symbol of redemption it's a sign of relationship you're invited to sit at the table it's something that was dead and it not only has new life but now it gives life I want my table to be a table of life, freedom, and growth to whoever would come and sit at the table with me. That's what I want to give. I wish you didn't get so hungry, but then you might not have come back to the table. So welcome to the table, to the NHWC table. This table has no limits. There is a seat with your name on it, I promise you. And you know what's offered at the table? Growth, life, freedom, friendship, strategy, comfort, healing, hope, grace for today, our daily bread, and strength for the journey. You may not be able to preach, but you can build. And every time you give, every time you volunteer at a kid's camp or you help with a tournament or you pass a cup of coffee in the front and smile at somebody, and every time you pray and every time you invite somebody to, to come be a part of the family, and every time you're building a bigger table, you're inviting somebody else to come have a seat, somebody else to come eat the food that you're eating. You're not stingy or you're not worried that there's not going to be enough to go around. Or if somebody takes my seat at the table, then will I still have a place? What if somebody better than me shows? Well, come on, bring it. That's fine. We're not playing musical chairs. There's a seat for all of us in the kingdom. We build a bigger table. I'm not elbowing for a better spot for me. We build. This is what we do. We build houses for survivors. Jesus was a builder, son of a carpenter, but a spiritual builder. He's the good shepherd. Once we realize that we have a place, that a table has been prepared for us, then we build, we give for others. The number one response of love is to give. I'm going to build a bigger table. I'm going to make a place for somebody else. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, first of all, thanks for building us a table. Thanks for preparing a place for us, even in the presence of our enemies. Thanks for being a good shepherd that leads us. We're going to follow you. I will be content. I'll keep on walking. I'm not going to quit. God, I will not let fear become bigger than you. And I commit to stay planted, to live in your house, to find my place at the table. God, help us as a body to find strategic ways to build a bigger table and then fill it because once it's full we know there's a plan to build a bigger table and it just keeps getting bigger that's how the kingdom works 
So thank you for loving us and thank you for calling each one of us and placing purpose that you've placed eternity in our hearts. God, we love you. Thanks for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.